Good morning. Testing, testing. This is good? Am I on? Oh, there we go. Good morning. Come on in and find a seat. Welcome to Country Christian this morning. So this morning, there's a, probably an, old, an age-old question, I would guess, that, wow, that sounds loud. <laughs> Anyways, um, I imagine that generations of people have asked this question, but what does God require of you? Uh, and that's something that I find myself asking all the time. What, what does God want of me? What does he want me to do? Well, there's a verse... Um, my the Abigail put on our wall in our living room that is one of my favorite verses. And it comes from Micah 6, 8, and it just says, What does the Lord require of you, O man, but to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? And the part I kind of look at today is the humbly with your God. So, and see, Second James... Oh, no, sorry, James. That's my verse number two, James 4, 6 to 7. Where's that at? And it says in James 4, 6, 7, But he gives a greater grace. Therefore it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. That's actually you. That was all the way to eight, but... Anyways, I just kind of a thought I was having is like that a humble person um, from, from what I've seen it's kind of my own understanding I believe a humble person will tend to praise God but a proud person says look what I have done and it's kind of like a self-praise they kind of, they kind of miss the praise that is due our Heavenly Father um, and let's kind of look at how that plays out in Daniel four twenty seven to thirty or sorry, twenty eight to thirty seven. That's a little bit longer, but it said all this happened in Nebuchadnezzar, the king twelve months later, um, he was walking on the roof of his royal palace in Babylon. And this is after Daniel just explained to him a vision that he'd had. And the vision happened to be about him and the fall. I believe that's what this one was. Yeah, it was about the tree and it got chopped down. Anyways, you can read that later if you want to see what comes before this. But mainly we're looking at the, the heart of Nebuchadnezzar at this point in his life. It was, it was overly proud and God had to humble him. <clears throat> so 12 months later... He was walking on the roof of his royal palace of Babylon. The king reflected and said, Is this not Babylon the great which I myself have built as a royal residence by the might of my power and for the glory of my majesty? 
While the word was in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared sovereignty has been removed from you, and you will be driven away from mankind, and your dwelling place will be with the beasts of the field. <clears throat> you will be given grass to eat like cattle, and seven periods of time will pass over you until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomever he wishes. <clears throat> Immediately the word concerning Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled, and he was driven away from mankind and began eating grass like cattle, and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. But at the end of that period, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my reason returned to me and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, but he does, but he does according to his will in the, in, he does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and no one can ward off his hand or say to him, what have you done? At that time, my reason returned to me and my majesty and splendor were restored to me for the glory of my kingdom and my con- and my counselors and my nobles began seeking me out. So I was reestablished, and my sovereignty and surpassing greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and honor the King of heaven, for all his works are true and his ways just, and he is able to humble those who walk in pride. There's a really clear example. And you can't, it seems to me you can't even get any more clear than that. <clears throat> And then I'm just going to read this. Psalm 65 is next. And this is obviously a psalm of David. It says, There will be silence before you and praise in Zion, O God, and to you the vow will be performed. O you who hear prayer, to you all men come iniquities prevail against me as for our transgressions, you forgive them. How blessed is the one whom you choose and bring near to you to dwell in your courts. We will, we will be satisfied with the goodness of your house, your holy temple. By awesome deeds you answer us in righteousness, O God of our salvation. You are the trust of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest sea, who establishes the mountains by his strength, being girded with might, who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, and the tumult of the peoples. They who dwell in the ends of the earth stand in awe of your signs. You make the dawn and the sunset shout for joy. You visit the earth and cause it to overflow. You greatly enrich it. The stream of God is full of waters. You prepare their grain, for thus you prepare the earth. You water its furrows abundantly. You settle its ridges. You soften it with showers. You bless it. You bless its growth 
You have crowned the year with your bounty, and your paths drip with fatness. The pastures of the wilderness drip, and the hills gird themselves with rejoicing. The meadows are clothed with flocks, and the valleys are covered with grain. They shout for joy. Yes, they sing. Anyways, just, um, I just thought that was very appropriate for, you know, standing in awe of our God and praise Him. You recognize where you sit, where I sit, where He is, and He is worthy to be praised. And with that, I will invite the worship team up and let's pray for them. Lord, we just thank you so much. You are so good to us. And so I just um, ask your blessing on this time that uh, you would hear our praise and that it would be from our heart to yours. And so we just thank you, in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning again. I want to welcome you to stand and sing with us if you're able. And uh, we just want to praise the Lord together. What an opportunity. We can praise God all week, but today on Sunday we get to come and praise him together.
Psalms 27, 13, and 28, 7, I am still confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him, and I am helped. My heart leaps for joy, and I will give thanks to him in song.
am still confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him, and I am helped. My heart leaps for joy, and I will give thanks to him in song. Lord, we are gathered here together to praise your name, to give you thanks throughout this service. Lord, may you be honored and glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Acts chapter 14, starting at verse 19. Then Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there, and having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. However, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and went into the city, and the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying, we must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. So when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commanded them to the, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And after they had passed through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia. Now when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. From there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work which they had completed. Now when they had come and gathered the church together, they reported all that God had done with them, and that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. So they stayed there a long time with the disciples. You can be seated. <clears throat> <clears throat> so as, the, as Paul and Barnabas have been traveling from city to city and they've been sharing the gospel and they've been teaching about who Jesus is and, and what he's done and there were people that were, it sounds like, following them around from city to city and they would come to this city where they were at and they were trying to stir the people up against them because they didn't, there's a certain amount of Jews that didn't like what they were teaching because that meant that the way they were living may need to change. And they didn't like what Paul was teaching and so they stirred the people up in the town that they were at. It says, Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there and having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city supposing him to be dead. Now, I don't know about you, but if you were sharing somewhere and the people were getting a little bit uh, agitated and worked up, you, probably you would take notice of that, I would imagine. But I can't think of a reason today that somebody would drag you out and stone you. But this is what they did to Paul. For preaching the gospel of Christ, they took him and they stoned him, thinking that they had killed him. And what does Paul do? The disciples gather around Paul, and he got up. I don't think he died. It doesn't say that he died. He was, looked, probably looked like he was dead. And if you get stoned, that's usually what happens when you get stoned. But the disciples gathered around him, and Paul got up. And what does it say next? It says he went back into the city. He went back into the city. Now the people that had incurred this thought of stoning him, I don't know if they were not there anymore or if they had left. I have no idea. But Paul got up and he went back into the city for one more night. And the next day he left. 
But it just is interesting to me, Paul's mentality, Paul's attitude towards what had happened. Because if I was in that position, I probably, in my mind, wouldn't get back up and go back into the same city that they just drug me out of. But I want to read, you know, it's interesting that this is where Paul is living through some of these things. And then we can go farther into the New Testament and talk. And Paul is sharing his experiences of what happened. And so we're going to go to Philippians chapter 1. And I'm going to read 12 through 26. Philippians chapter 1, starting at verse 12. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and in this I rejoice, yes, I will rejoice, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain." But if I, live, if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I cannot tell. For I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you for all Continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. Now I read that, and it's it's really hard for me to wrap my mind around Paul's attitude that he has right there. Because what it started with is, I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. The things that I'm going through, Paul is saying, the things that are happening to me is to further the spread of the gospel. And for that reason, he's willing to continue doing what he's doing. Now, as he goes on, and the verses that we've read a lot of times says, let me find it. For to me, to live is Christ. And to die is gain. Now I just think about what he said right there. He just, and this is in Philippians, but where we're reading in Acts, he's just come away from being stoned almost to death. Almost to death. And Paul, in Philippians here, he says, but to live is Christ, but to die is gain. And I don't know about you, but it sometimes can be really hard to wrap our minds around what he's really saying, what that really means. Because to live, 
We get to live here. We get to enjoy a relationship with Christ. We get to be here. And our purpose for being here is to share that joy and to share that love and to share that gospel with people around us. And this is what Paul was realizing. But Paul was also realizing that if he dies, then he gets to be with God. He gets to be with his Savior forever. And I don't know what our attitude about things that happen in life is. I know sometimes what mine is. How do we view things that happen in our lives? How do we view things that happen in our lives? Because Paul, just coming off of being stoned in Acts, could have really taken a different turn right there. And he could have given up. And he could have quit. And nobody would have blamed him because he almost died. But this is not who Paul was. This is not what Paul did. This isn't the way he operated. This isn't the way he thought because he was completely 100% sold out for sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, even if it meant being stoned. Now think about that for a little bit. Have you ever considered the only thing, let me think of how to phrase this, Really, a lot of times the reason that we don't share something or we are a little bit hesitant to share the gospel is because we're afraid of what people might think. Never one time have I not shared the gospel because I was afraid somebody was going to stone me. Not once. And I'm sure it's never crossed your mind either. But more likely, we have been hesitant to share because we're afraid of what somebody might think or we're afraid that somebody might reject And we think it's rejecting us, but it's not rejecting us. It's rejecting Christ. So really, it has nothing to do with us. It has nothing to do with me, but it has everything to do with Christ. And I think this is what Paul is understanding right here. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Either way. Paul, Paul's mentality is either way I win. Either way, it doesn't matter. Paul knew why he was here. Paul knew what his purpose was. And he was willing to continue to fulfill that purpose regardless of what was done to him. Even if it meant being stoned, almost killed. He wasn't willing to back down. Do we know what our purpose for being here is? Are we just living life to get through or are we building Christ's kingdom? And I think that's a question that we can ask ourselves every single day. Are we living life just to get through? Are we just barely keeping our head above water? Are we just barely scraping by? Or are we living our life to build the kingdom of God? And I think that's a very important question that we can ask ourselves. It's not my job to ask you. That's between you and God. And I want you to ask the Lord to show you what is it that you have for me to do. Not just to live life to get by. I don't want to live life just getting by. 
And when I talk, when I say that, I don't mean you're just barely scraping by financially or you're just barely scraping by emotionally or physically. That's not what I'm talking about. Why are you living your life? God has given you, God has breathed life into you and into me. And he's given us a commandment of what to do. And that's to share the gospel with people. It's why we're here. It's why we're here. Paul has understood his purpose for being here. Have we, or do we, understand our purpose for being here? And I think it can be, the, it is the same thing as Paul's, but it looks a whole lot different today than it did then. It might look different, but it's really not. We're not standing up here, I'm not standing up here sharing, afraid that somebody's going to start throwing rocks at me. I'm not, I don't have that fear. That sounds silly. But when Paul is sharing, that was a very real thing. Joel, you don't have any rocks, do you? (laughs) Sorry, I couldn't resist that. But for Paul, that was a very real thing. He knew that was a possibility. He knew they might drag him out. And as he goes on another missionary journey, there's more and more things that happen to him. This wasn't the only time that he was stoned. I'm excited to continue in Acts to see some of the other things that God does in working through Paul and the people that he is with. Do we have a quit and give up mentality or do we relate with what Paul is saying? Can we relate to what Paul is saying? To live is Christ, and to die is gain. And recognizing that what we have done, the things that have happened to us as we look at our lives and as we live through different things, and maybe hard times, maybe good times, but looking and recognizing that the things that we live through in life are actually furthering the gospel of Christ. Is that true of your life? Is that true of your life? Are we living in a way that is furthering the gospel? Because that's the reason that we're here. Paul, the next day, they departed with Barnabas to go to Derby. And when they got there, you know what they did? The same thing they had been doing. They preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples. So you sometimes would think that after, and I don't know how much time, it makes it sound like it was pretty quick. It could have been a week. It could have been a few days. I don't know how much time passed there. But Paul didn't really take much of a break. He'd just been stoned almost to death. And he gets up, goes back into the city. The next day he leaves and goes to the next city. And they start preaching again. Knowing that those same people that have been following him, trying to irritate people and agitate people to stone him in the last city, they could have followed him again. But you know what? That wasn't a deterrent for him. He didn't care. He did not care. He was going to preach the gospel. Where are you at? Where are we at with that? Do we get caught up in our own life so much that we care about what people think? Oh yeah, absolutely we do, a lot. I do all the time. 
But can we get to the point where we don't? And I'm going to live what I believe regardless of what people think. Have we, have we reached the point of being able to live what we believe regardless of what people think? That's all based on Scripture. Make sure you're living the right way based on Scripture. But if the Lord is leading you to do something and you feel like you need to do it, I would recommend that you do it. It doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what your neighbor thinks. God is the one that we're trying to follow. We're not trying to follow man. We're not trying to do things to get man's approval, but we do that quite often. So they continued to Derby and they preached there and there were lots of people that came to know Christ there as well. They didn't quit. They didn't give up. They didn't go into hiding. They continued on. <clears throat> I would have to say that I wouldn't have blamed them if they would have went into hiding for a while. Because I would have probably considered it. And the thing is, you look at things that are happening around the world today and even in our country, and you never know. We don't know when things might change. We don't know when standing up here and sharing or just coming here might put you at risk. We don't know that. There's a lot of other countries that that is the case. That's not the case here right now. But my question to you and to myself is, when that time and if that time comes, what are we going to do? How are we going to respond? Are we going to quit and run and go into hiding? I don't know. That time may come. I'm not sure, but I want to start thinking through that now. Because if we can make up our mind and we can make that decision right now, then when the time comes that we're worried about what somebody else might think or say or that we might get turned in or whatever, we already have our mind made up. Because we're not going to change the way we live. We're not going to change the way we believe because we're going to be able to say like Paul says, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Romans chapter 8 Verses 31 through 39. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither, neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
This is what Paul and Barnabas on this missionary journey have grasped. They've grasped who God really is. Because it starts by saying, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And Paul and Barnabas and all the people that Paul worked with in his time and on his missionary journeys, they've understood what this concept is. And then it says, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. And it mentions everything that we as human beings think might be able to separate us from Christ. The problem is he lists all of them there. In doing so, taking away all of our excuses to not believe and not understand that nothing, there truly is nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ. Do we believe that? Do we live that way? This is where Paul and Barnabas, I believe, were at. This is the way they were living. They knew, they understood who God is and what he's capable of doing. Because Paul knew that he was supposed to share the gospel with the Gentiles. He's understood what his calling is and he realizes that even if they stone him, it doesn't change what he's supposed to do. Well, they tried to stone me there for that, so I need to change my tactic a little bit. No, that's not what Paul did. He didn't change it one little bit. He went to the next city, and he continued preaching the gospel. That's amazing to me to to get to the point where we can understand the love of God. We can understand what it truly is, and that there really is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. And I don't know if we can ever fully understand this living here on earth. I think we can more and more, and I think we learn to understand that more and more. And I think as we experience life, we learn that the love of God doesn't change. It doesn't leave us. And sometimes we ask, where is God at? And the question more is, God is still right there beside you. Are you looking for him? Are you listening? Are you hearing Are you taking the time to hear what he might be saying? So then Paul and Barnabas left Derby, and they went, they kind of retraced their steps back the way that they had come, including Lystra, where he had been stoned. And they went back, and they were meeting again with the Uh, people that they had shared the gospel with, the people that had come to know Christ. They were meeting with them. They were encouraging them. They were exhorting them. And he, it says that they went through and they put appointed elders in each of these places so that there was some kind of a structure. There was some kind of consistency with these churches that they were starting. Essentially what they were doing, they were starting churches. And they came back through, they retraced their steps to encourage the people to help those churches continue. Do we remember to encourage one another? 
I don't know how many times, if you're like me, there's a lot of times that I think about something, and even sometimes I'll tell my wife, man, they do a good job with that. But that doesn't get, and it's no fault, it's my own fault, that I don't just tell them. Why don't we do that more? Why is that so hard to do? It really isn't hard to do, we just don't. And I don't know if, it's, if, if you're anything like I am, you have got all kinds of good intentions, but unless I actually follow through with those, that's, there's no encouragement for the other person. Just a challenge. This is what Paul and Barnabas are going back through the people that they led to Christ and they were establishing churches and they're going back through trying to encourage them, trying to strengthen them, trying to exhort them, trying to minister to them. Do we take the time to encourage one another? Do we remember to continue working with new or young believers? Now, it can be exciting when we share the gospel with somebody and then somebody comes to know Christ, and that's so exciting. But, you know, that's just the beginning. That's very important. But the next step is every bit of as important. And that's the mentoring process. And that's the encouraging and the sharing and the listening and the talking and the answering questions and whatever that might entail. How are we doing with that? Do we know people that are new believers, that are young believers, that we maybe need to come around beside and continue to encourage? Because the world can be a rough and tough and discouraging place. And we need that encouragement. Even, as, even if we're not young believers, we still need that encouragement. How are we doing After Paul and Barnabas have made their stops through all the cities that they had stopped at before and encouraging people and appointing elders, and they were, it said, and they prayed with fasting and they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So they're trying to establish, because if it's just a one-time stop and preach and share the gospel and people accept Christ and then they move on, and then who's going to help them from there? Now, I know that some of giftings are different and some people are evangelists and they just want to share the gospel all the time and continue. That's good. That's needed. That's very important. But without the rest of the gifts coming along behind to help mentor, to pastor, to teach, to encourage, that first one is still important, but it goes hand in hand with all the rest of them. We can't forget the rest, And I think this is what Paul and Barnabas were doing. They went through and they did the first one and they were evangelizing, they were sharing the gospel, but then they came back through and they encouraged and they commended to build them up, to encourage them to keep going. Because he says, we, we must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. Now, as people, some people think, well, you don't have to go through tribulation. Why do we have to go through these things? Why do we have to go through hard things? And the only answer I have for that is because we live in a world that's broke. 
Because ever since the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve sinned, this world has been broken. And nothing in this world is perfect except for Jesus. And that's our hope. That's who we look to. That's why he is our rock. That's why he is the one, the only one that we can go to and it will never let us down. And we talked about his love never leaving us. Nothing can separate us from his love. So after Paul and Barnabas had done this, they went back to Antioch where they had started their journey. Hebrews chapter 10 Verses 19 through 25. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast, hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. <clears throat> it talks about not forsaking the other. Do you have to come to church? You don't have to come to church to be a believer in Christ. But there's something about being together. You don't come here every week to listen to me. You come here every week to, to visit and encourage one another. That's why we're here. And hopefully something that is said this morning you can grab hold of and take into life this week. And you can minister Christ to people. That's why we come here. So when Paul and Barnabas got back to Antioch, what did they do? It's really interesting what they did. I like it. Now when they had come and gathered the church together, they reported all that God had done with them and that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. So what do they do when they get back? They gather all the people together and they share the testimony of what they had seen. That's the reason we come here. It's the reason we have sharing time here is so we can share the testimony of what we have seen God do in the past week. That's why we're here. And so when Paul and Barnabas get back and they gather everybody together and they're reporting on what they had seen God do. And you know what that does? Do you know what that does for people? It gets people excited about what God is doing. Because if God is doing it in somebody else's life, we know that he's also doing it in our lives. And if, I, if you share with me something that God has done for you in your life, that gets me excited. And if I share something with you that God has done in my life, that gets you excited. To do what? To go out and share it with others. The testimony of one another Are we sharing our testimony of what God has done in our lives? It's really easy to look past some of these things and think, well, that was just a coincidence that that happened. You know what? 
Don't look at anything as a coincidence. You look, you look, and you look, and you will see the hand of God working in your life. Because he is. If you claim to be a believer in him, and if you seek to follow his Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is working through you, there isn't a coincidence that happens. God is directing everything that you do. And you can go to a basketball game, or you can go to the grocery store, or you can go anywhere, and maybe you meet somebody, or you just say hi to somebody. You don't know what that's going to do. You have no idea the seed that might be planted. But that's why we're here. That's why we are here. Share about your, what? Share about your Savior and what he has done for you. And watch as he continues to guide and lead you. Because if we watch for it, if we're looking for it, and we're going to see it happen, and that's an encouragement to continue doing it. And so as we go about our week, let's remember Paul's word in Philippians that says, but to live is Christ but to die is gain. The bridge of the song that we sang <clears throat> said that your goodness is running after me. With my life laid down, I'm surrendered now. I give you everything. Are we there? Have we done that? Have we laid our life down? Have we surrendered everything and given him, given it to him? And it's exciting to watch what God is doing. It's exciting to see him work through people. And as we visit and talk after service, encourage one another. Share your testimony of what God has done this week. And as we go into the next week, I want you to watch for things that we might consider coincidence. But what really the Holy Spirit working through you. And let's pay attention and watch for it because I'll guarantee you that if you're watching for it, you're going to find it. Stand up with me if you would. Father, we thank you so much for your love this morning. I thank you, Father, for the words and acts. Lord, that we can learn from the life of Paul and Barnabas and their attitude and their mentality of serving you, whether they live or whether they died. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to grasp that. Help us understand, Lord, that there's nothing that can separate us from your love. And I pray that as we go about our week, you would open our eyes to see opportunities to share your love with people, but also opportunity to share our testimony of who you are and what you're doing in our lives. We love you this morning. I pray that you would guide each one that's here, guide our week. Thank you, Father, for your blessings. In your name we pray, amen. If you want to turn around and shake somebody's hand, and then you can be dismissed.